welcome to SFU Made Ready for Everything, the podcast. I'm Sarah Ross. And I'm John Kremel. Today's episode is chatting with the commission. We welcome Northeast Conference Commissioner Noreen Morris to come talk about her journey through collegiate athletics as she now enters her 11th year as commissioner of the Northeast Conference. She's had many stops along the way that has helped create her into the wonderful leader for our conference. Um, We will have a discussion about female empowerment and some of the roles she's taken at the conference level through empowering SWAs. And we will also dive into some hot topic discussions around COVID-19 and what role the conference has played in supporting our student athletes and trying to come up with the best decisions possible um, during these very uncertain times. And we also have a discussion around the racial injustice that is prevalent in our country. And we're going to talk about the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece to the strategic plan that Noreen has been so instrumental in pushing forward at the conference level. It's sure to be a great and informative conversation. Make sure you have your notepad out. There are plenty of tidbits that you're going to want to take with you after you hear everything that Noreen has to share with us. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome, Noreen Morris. We are so excited to have you joining John and I. Noreen is the commissioner at the Northeast Conference, and uh, we are thrilled that she found a little bit of time in her schedule with everything going on to chat with us. Uh, so let's let's jump right in. Um, do you mind talking us through your journey a little bit, um, how you got into athletics? I know there was a pretty stellar career playing soccer at Cornell. Um, and then I guess how that transitioned into dedicating your life to collegiate athletics. Absolutely. would love to share my journey and um, appreciate you calling my career stellar. You're, you're certainly giving me more benefits um, than I should receive, but uh, it, was, it was a great experience. Um, I'll start by saying that I've played sports my whole life and, and a lot of what I did as a, as a youngster uh, really set me up, I think, to to have a career in college athletics, although I had no idea at the time. Um, That's where I was headed. Uh, I was the first and only girl to play in our town boys soccer league when I was probably about nine. Um, And uh, we went and signed up and and their lady behind the uh, registration desk didn't understand that um, girls were not supposed to be playing. So she, she took my registration along with my younger brother. And the next day they called my dad and said, um, uh, this is a boys league, she can't play. And he said, "Mm, you took my money uh, and my registration, so she's playing. So I was the only girl in the whole league. Um, So that was a first. I went to junior high, there was no girls soccer team. um, And I really wasn't comfortable playing with the boys at that point, even though I had played on boys teams up to that that time. in fact, they started a girls' league about three years later. So I did, in, in fact, play with with uh, an entire girls' team before junior high. But junior high, they didn't have a team. And by the time I got to high school, we were playing club. We were traveling. You know, there were so many other towns around us that had teams at the high school that I thought, you know, this is not right. So 
I ended up petitioning the Board of Ed, got a bunch of signatures, um, spoke in front of the Board of Ed, and by uh, the next year, we had a team. So my sophomore year in high school was the first year um, that they had a women's or a girls' soccer team at the high school. Um, and from there, I went to Cornell, not realizing it at the time, but I was part of the first recruited class. So Cornell had started a team the year before, but it was really the club team students that were involved in the first year. And then the coach came in, was able to recruit. So in the fall, age myself, in the fall of 1983 was the first year that Cornell had a recruited class um, for their women's soccer team. So, you know, without realizing it, I was a bit of a trailblazer in the sports realm before um, I even got to college. So in college, you know, I love playing sports, um, but I also worked as a work study student um, in the athletic department. You would think I would have put two and two together and gone right from there to college athletics, but uh, it took me a little while to connect the dots. Um, I went uh, off to Boston and got a job and it was a bit of a recession and I ended up working for MCI, the telephone company, sitting in a cubicle selling long distance phone service from Boston to companies in Syracuse, New York. 60, 70 hangups a day, um, not the most riveting job. Love Boston, but um, after eight months of really just trudging to work and like, ugh, another day making phone calls, uh, my coach called and said, I have this part-time position that was just approved um, as an assistant coach, would love for you to come. Uh, and without even thinking twice, I said, would love to do that because I really missed the sports at like three o'clock every day. I'm in my office or my cubicle, um, and just itching to get outside and itching to play. And, and, um, so it was a perfect opportunity for me to jump back in. So I, I went back to Cornell, back to Ithaca, New York, which I joke is centrally isolated, which is something you all probably can, uh, <laughs> relate to, um, but, uh, you know, I coached for two years and, and really enjoyed that experience, but realized that coaching was not in my DNA. Uh, it wasn't something that I wanted to commit my life to, but I really enjoyed being around the college athletic space. So one of the athletic directors, um, who unfortunately just passed away, um, he is the one, Brian Austin told me, you know, you should go to graduate school. It's like, I don't, for what? Right. And he says, for sports management. I didn't even know that existed. And at the time, there weren't that many programs, maybe three graduate programs that were pretty um, developed. So it was UMass, uh, Ohio, U, and St. Thomas Aquinas, so I, down, or St. Thomas down in Florida. So I ended up going to UMass, um, doing a year there, and was lucky enough to get a, an internship at UConn at the end of that, uh, and worked directly with a woman named Pat Miser McNett, um, who was a fantastic mentor for me. And I just shadowed her. She, she was the SWA. She also did compliance. She oversaw most of the Olympic sport programs. So I just, you know, followed her around, went to every meeting. She let me know what was happening on the front end of the meeting. We'd talk about what happened after the meeting. Um, and so just a really good experience and was really you know, jumped into compliance at that point. Um, after my internship, I got a full-time job at UConn uh, working as their first full-time director of compliance. And 
worked directly with Jeff Hathaway and Lou Perkins um, and met some pretty amazing women who worked in the Big Ten or the Big, uh, the Big East at the time. Um, so I was there four or five years, um, five years total, and then ended up going to Conference USA as the director of compliance and ultimately um, moved up into an associate commissioner role. So I had oversight of compliance and the new governance structure when we moved from one member, one institution, one vote to the, what we now have is the um, kind of shared um, governance with the um, representative structure. So I had to manage the, the rollout from that and create policies on how our conference was going to manage um, manage that forward. And, and at the time, it was called the um, Management Council, which is now the council in between. It was Leadership Council. We keep changing the name and changing the structure. But Mike Slive was the commissioner at Conference USA at the time. He you know, eventually went to to the SEC and became one of the most powerful men in college athletics, but I, he was also one of my mentors, and um, he was the only commissioner on the management council at the time at the D1 level, and uh, so he, he created a, a, a call before each meeting with all the commissioners, uh, and I helped him lead that call. So that's where, really where I, I got a great experience in I'd have to go through the, the management council materials, figure out, what, figure out what I thought they needed to talk about, what rose to the level of having to have consensus by the commissioners, and then would introduce all of those issues to them and help them work through their conversation. So I think that was a fantastic opportunity for me, that which really helps me in the seat I'm in now. Um, and then from Conference USA, I was... Um, lucky enough to, to move, uh, stay in Chicago, but uh, head over to Northwestern, where I was there for five and a half years as the SWA and Associate AD, and work with two tremendous leaders, uh, Mark Murphy, who left uh, Northwestern to do this little job. He's now the president and CEO of the Green Bay Packers. Um, and so, you know, he was fantastic to work with and uh, also worked with Jim Phillips, um, who is still at Northwestern and has really taken that campus and that athletic department to new heights and also became the chair of the, the leadership, well, what's now the council. Um, I previously, I myself chaired the previous leadership council for two and a half years. So, um, you know, to, to see Jim take that role and, and um, do such a great job when they change the governance structure again. Um, so that was really fun to see. Um, but from there, from Northwestern, I, I um, went from there to here, Northeast Conference, and have been here my 11th year, which is crazy. Uh, I feel like I just got here. Um, but it's been a great run, and I've really enjoyed my time here. And just the people in this league really make it. Uh, the student athletes, coaches, the administrators, people like you who really, really care about the students and about their development. And um, so I'm really proud to be here at the Northeast Conference. And um, so that's my journey, probably more than you uh, hope for. But uh, once I get started, sometimes it's hard to stop. But uh, oh, that's awesome. And I, 
I don't want to pull too much because we do have some other questions that will build off of it, but it's incredible to hear about like the mentors and champions on your journey that helped you along the way. I mean, there wasn't a single stop where there wasn't somebody who you could highlight that you, whether it was uh, pushed you to an opportunity or provided some kind of education to help you take the next step. I think that's a, it's a huge part of any job, but in collegiate athletics, I think it's a pretty close knit community for those connections. Yeah. And there's one person who actually played a really large role and I was remiss not to talk about her was Brenda Weir. So Brenda Weir was the previous commissioner here at the Northeast conference, but she hired me um, at conference USA and gave me an opportunity when I didn't have, you know, I had four years experience on campus and she hired me to, to run the compliance at, at conference USA. And she was, tremendous mentor um and uh unfortunately she um had a battle with cancer and ended up losing that battle but we had kept in touch um and she had actually tried to get me to come work at the northeast conference before um in a role but it just didn't work out at the time um but for me to be able to follow in her footsteps um given how much she meant to me in my career um, and, and she was a friend too. So, um, while it was heartbreaking, uh, what she went through and tragic, um, you know, it's something that I think about quite often that, you know, without her coming here, I'm not sure I even would have known about the Northeast conference and the opportunities, um, here. So that, that's one person I really owe so much to. And, um, as does the NEC, because I think she's, she did a really nice job in the three years that she was here. I think it is a stellar career. When you look at your athletic career and then what you look look like, what you've done professionally, um, without a doubt, I think stellar is probably the least uh, we could say. I mean, it's a very impressive what you've done um, over the years and what you have done for the, for the Northeast Conference. Sarah never introduces me talking about my stellar career whenever she introduces me. I do have the lowest career point total in men's and women's basketball school history, I think, at St. Francis. <laughs> you know, I had a coaching career because supposedly everyone thinks I'm my brother and I coach the men's basketball team here. Yeah. So I, I guess I can say I've always had a coaching career. I had a student I met with yesterday that thought I was both his academic advisor and uh, the men's basketball coach here. So, confusion. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned, Doreen, that, you know, this marks the 11th year of, of – um, your time as the commissioner at the Northeast Conference. Um, so for our listeners, can you kind of share what a kind of a day-to-day -day looks like? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but you know, the, what's the role of the commissioner, some of the responsibilities, what's your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, well, I might have to separate that into pre-COVID and post-COVID day-to-day. Um, Clearly, everybody's day-to-day -day has changed. Um, but generally, my, my role as, as a commissioner is to help manage um, the direction of, of the league. Um, I have a staff of nine full-time and two interns. Um, we have 23 sports. We sponsor 19 championships. We have our digital network, um, NEC Front Row. Um, we provide services to our, our membership from compliance to marketing um, to you know, financial decisions. My, I have 10 bosses, so the, the 10 presidents of the university um, are my bosses. 
Uh, we typically met only twice a year in person, and then I would communicate as needed um, throughout the year. Um, but we really focused in on those in-person meetings. Now, um, you know, life has changed, and we've been meeting monthly um, by Zoom since March. So my interaction with them has increased um, given, you know, all the dynamics and the decision-making that we've had to make. Um, our athletic directors and our SWAs are, are and the SWA is Senior Women Administrator, which is a, a, a designation um, on each campus to make sure that there's a female representation and the senior staff at our campuses. Um, but our athletic directors and SWAs are the group that I work with most. Prior to COVID, we were meeting once per month by um, conference call. We would meet two times a year in person. And then I would see them, you know, throughout the year as I traveled. Um, you know, I was on the road quite a bit, um, either going to meetings, um, regular season games, conference championships, and, you know, always tried to connect with, with the administrators on those trips, as well as other coaches. You know, it's great to stand and watch a basketball game and talk to the football coach or the swim coach or the track coach. You just, you get to know people and, and you understand what, what their issues are. So the, the in-person contact was something that I really appreciated because you really get a pulse on, on what's happening on each campus, what are their needs, what are their thoughts about what we're doing at the conference office. Um, but um, the, the pre-COVID interaction was mostly in person um, with just the monthly conference calls. Um, and now, you know, obviously it's all conference calls. We've gone from meeting once a month to twice a week with the athletic administrators. Um, and, you know, it's just a, a, a constant discussion about, you know, NCAA rules. How are we managing the change of all the, the you know, in the spring, when we shut down in the spring, what, what do we do with the student athletes then over the summer? How many hours can they practice? What the coaches do? Recruiting. Um, there's just a myriad of issues that you have to deal with. And now, of course, coming into the fall, um, what are we doing with sports? Um, can we practice? Can we compete? Uh, how can we assist institutions on the return to campus? Um, there's just a never-ending list of issues. And the, you know, my, my new mantra is it's exhausting trying to manage the unknown. Uh, so every day it's just what can, what issues do I need to tackle today that will impact us tomorrow? And then also trying to look ahead as to how is this COVID-19 shut down going to impact the NEC, you know, moving forward months and even years ahead. So we, we did a, a really um, deep dive into our budget this past year, this summer, based on the loss of revenue from the NCAA basketball tournament. So we had to shave upwards to a million dollars off of our budget based on the, the missed revenue opportunities that the NCAA had when the, um, when the basketball championship was um, canceled. So, you know, everything from budgets to NCAA rules to can we sponsor athletics, um, put together an NCAA or NEC COVID-19 medical advisory team that has one person from each school. So we have doctors, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning administrators. They've been meeting on a weekly basis, trying to help plan, help our institutions plan for the return of sports. So created some best practices, created some um, 
game day processes once we start competing to make sure that there's communication and, and that everyone understands um, the expectations um, and the availability of services when they travel. So it's been really, really busy. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever worked harder in the last five months. Um, and it's, um, you know, everyone's in the same boat. I'm, I'm certain you feel the same way. It, you know, you're putting in more hours and you're doing things you've never anticipated you would have to do. But in college athletics, I think we're very versatile, resilient, and um, we're very much team oriented and, and uh, you set your goals and, and you, you continue on and uh, try to, to make progress uh, each and every day. So kind of that's, that's what we've been doing. I appreciate all that you guys have done. I think I can speak on behalf of, you know, the department and, and our coaches and our student athletes and, and really appreciate your leadership and all that you've done from the Northeast Conference. I know uh, for sure it, it hasn't been easy and, you know, it's tough when you have to come out and make, you know, big decisions that, that um, you know, alter some things for student athletes. But, you know, one of the things we wanted with this podcast was to make sure our student athletes and, and other listeners understood you know, how the conference level worked, um, what the day in life of a commissioner was like, um, because, um, you know, you guys do a lot, I think, that sometimes is seen behind the scenes, and they don't know um, everything that, that goes on the conference level and all that you have to do and the, the decisions you have to make. Um, but, you know, I think I can speak on behalf of, of a lot of people here at St. Francis and really appreciate what you and the rest of your staff have done um, during this COVID time, but I, you know, even prior to that, because it's been fantastic what the conference does just as initiatives uh, across the board and how it supports the student athletes. And I think it really um, puts this, you guys put the student athletes first and, and that is a obvious, obvious uh, focus of yours. So thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. And you, you mentioned my staff. I mean, I am not lying when I say I, we have the best staff in the country, top to bottom, um, great Great people are committed to the NEC. Um, we've got a lot of longevity. So we've got two, uh, Andy, Ali, and Ron Ratner have been with us 24 years. And then we've got uh, a couple over like 11, 12 years with Ralph Bentry and, and Ben Shove and Caitlin, uh, like I think Lisa Archibald's got seven years. Caitlin's probably around six, Kyle's at five. So um, Chris, four. So we've got a lot of um, longevity, which I think speaks to the fact that um, it's a good work environment and, and, and the NEC just, it really is a great place to work. And um, the people in the, I've mentioned, I mentioned before, but the people are fantastic. So thank you. A great place to work and also a nod to great leadership. You guys are lucky. You have some pretty great female leadership at the conference level, which is kind of an exclusive club. It's growing a little bit. There's a definitely an increase in female commissioners at the division one level, but still a pretty exclusive club. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the benefits of having female leadership? So some bragging points, but also maybe the hardships, why um, it, the rise in college athletics could sometimes be a little difficult for a female. Sure. Yeah. Like you said, there's, um, we have more, uh, division one female commissioners, uh, in the last couple of years. So I think we're up to 10 now, 10 of 32. So while that sounds a lot, it's still, you know, 30 some odd percent. Um, and so we, we need to work on that. Um, I think when you look at college athletics, um, 
when you look at Title IX passing, um, what are we at now, 45 years ago, um, it really assisted in increasing the number of students participating and girls in particular um, at the you know, high school and college level. So you, you've seen the participation rates rise over time, which is fantastic. But what you've seen um, on the other side of the house in terms of administration and coaching is a significant drop in women leading women. So when Title IX was passed and the AIAW was sponsoring women's athletics, there's probably 90% female head coaches and 90% women administrators. Um, with the change with the NCAA sponsoring sports um, and the opportunities looked better, they were probably paying more because of Title IX, the, there was more resources, um, access to facilities, things of that nature. You know, all of a sudden those jobs become a little more appealing. Um, and now you have women coaching women, probably less than 50%. So that's a space where I think we really need to do a better job of trying to build the pipeline and uh, make sure we have assistant coaches rising through the ranks who will be your future head coaches. And the same for athletic administration. Um, I think there's many females who are in college athletics, not, not many rise to the top um, in terms of leadership. Uh, and I think it's harder on campus sometimes um, because you're dealing with the, I'm going to say old school that you had to have played football or played basketball to, to be an administrator and understand how to lead. And that's, that is, not true. Um, you know, it, 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 leadership is about your ability to communicate, to um, surround yourself with good people, to create a vision and a culture um, that can help others be successful. And you don't have to have played sports to do that. Uh, as long as you understand um, people and understand what the organization's about and what the goal should be, you know, anyone should be able to step into that role. And it, it's a matter of having the confidence to do it um, and the opportunity. But I think, um, I think women need to just be a little more aggressive in applying for jobs um, and networking and saying, all right, there's 10 things on this job description. I can do six of the 10. I can do the job. I mean, I'm, a male generally will say, I've, I've got four of the 10 and I can do the job, right? So it's, I mean, I'm generalizing, but that, that's something that I think um, there are studies that show that that indeed is the case in some, in some respects. So, um, so I, I do think that women in the administrative roles or head coaching roles, that's, that's, that's the product of really being intentional about building the pipeline and creating the networking opportunities and championing people um, to get into those spots. Um, so I think on the, if you look at the female commissioners, many of us came up through um, compliance and into through the governance. And I, and I, it's a, it's a easier transition, I think for into a commissioner role because it, it is very much about understanding how to do shared governance and understanding the issues and being able to communicate those issues and build consensus. 
Um, and it's just a little different on campus. It's um, not, there's, there's certainly shared governance on the campus, but it's, it's much more um, people and giving the opportunity to work with those coaches. So, so you have done a lot of work um, championing uh, women in collegiate athletics, uh, sitting as a co-chair for the NCA Gender Equity Task Force. Um, and I had the privilege of going to the Women's Leadership Forum that the NEC helped sponsor um, a couple years back for the Northeast region. And then part of like a big initiative that you've been working on with the conference is your um, the role of SWAs uh, in the NEC. And as if there's anything specific in there that you wanted to expand upon, why the why the passion like the work with the SWAs? Yeah, that's great. So I, I think I'll start there with um, the role of the SWAs. So when I I arrived at the Northeast Conference coming from Northwestern in the Big Ten, and and the Big Ten had a um, a structure that I thought was really effective where they had the ADs and SWAs um, meeting together more often than not. Um, and me being in the room for those conversations at that time, I mean, I was there when Jim Delaney was just starting to talk about the Big Ten Network and, and why they would want it to, to do that. And many thought he was crazy. Like, how can you do that 24-7 of Big Ten athletics? And clearly, you know, it's been a huge success. But to listen and to be in the room for all of the conversation around football, basketball, um, you know, it, it was a great learning experience for me. And so when I came to the Northeast Conference, the structure was a little different. It had um, ADs and SWAs meeting separately more often than not. Um, and the the times that they did meet together, um, it was really um, very directed to the, the Olympic sports um, uh, process for coaches' recommendations. So the SWAs, their, their main role at the time was to hear all the coaches' recommendations and to then make recommendations to the athletic directors on, you know, anything from regular season policies to what does a championship look like to um, – film exchange, you know, all of the things around the game, uh, the game day environment. And so I looked around the room and I saw some amazing women with great experience who could be, uh, if they wanted to be athletic directors. Um, and I, you know, I felt like we weren't utilizing their knowledge um, and we weren't really supporting them in, in expanding that knowledge. So I changed the structure to say that the ADs and SWAs will be one group called the athletic administrators and that will meet, they will meet together um, more often than not. Um, and that all the decisions should be made with the two in the room. Um, there's one vote. So they have to end up deciding on, you know, what that vote's going to be, but it really puts uh, the women at the table for the discussions. Um, and you know, there was a little pushback at the time because they felt like I was taking, some felt like I was taking their responsibility away from them and that they really wanted that responsibility to, to stay um, in terms of working with all of the coaches groups. Um, but over time, I think they, those who felt somewhat alienated by that decision kind of saw the light as, as they had the opportunity to sit in the room and, and hear all the presentations and, and hear the dialogue. I and mean, there's something about, you probably see this when you read minutes from a meeting. If you read minutes from the meeting, 
you don't get the flavor of the conversation. If you were in the meeting, you get the flavor of the conversation and, and you can see how you went from point A to point B um, and how things might change as people bring up different topics or points of view. So, so in that sense, I think I, that move was really helpful, not only for the SWAs, but for the athletic directors to have those points of view in the room. Um, so you have a more robust and, and comprehensive conversation. Um, and so I think that's been a positive um, for the NEC SWAs. And it also was a positive for um, some of the other administrators in our league, because that's when we started the sports management committee. And I stole that idea from the Big Ten as well, which is we have two people from each campus on the sports management committee. And they're the ones who now listen to and hear the coaches' recommendations and make recommendations then to the athletic administrator. So, so now we have, um, there are some SWAs still on that, that play that role, but we have a lot more administrators from the campus who are now involved in the NEC governance structure who have a better understanding of why we have the policies we do and can have, you know, have more touches with the um, coaches on campus than some of the athletic administrators do. So it, it just, I think it provides a, a much more transparent uh, structure and it allows for more people to be involved and more people to be informed so that we have more advocates, more NEC advocates on campus than we did before. So that, that would be from a structural standpoint how I think those changes helped our league in terms of communication and just buy-in. That's awesome. The common theme that I was hearing that I value tremendously is the more voices you have, the more diverse the conversation, and you'll end up most times with a result that you didn't even anticipate going in because you, you're hearing the perspectives of more people who are being impacted by those decisions. So that's, that's tremendous, and I very excited that I get to work under a conference with that kind of mentality trickling down. Yeah, I think it's like you said, just uh, you, I'll go back to when I was little, um, you know, you didn't see women in, in power, right, in athletics. And, and now you, there's so many more women in athletics and and now hopefully more uh, minority um, candidates and minority hires. Um, but the old, if you can't, if you can see her, you can be her kind of thing. Whereas if you have more people at the table, um, it just allows people coming up through the ranks to see that there's an opportunity to, to be part of that world. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that I was the co-chair of the NSA Gender Equity Task Force. and. That's been a great uh, opportunity for me. It's an association-wide committee. So there's divisions one, two, and three representatives. It's a small group. I think there's 11 or 12 on the committee. Um, and, and for us to take, uh, you know, there was, a, I think, a bit of a, a gap within the NCA structure of people advocating from a bigger picture standpoint. You had the CWA, Committee on Women's of Athletics, and, and then you had MOIC, Minority Opportunities Interest Committee. Um, but they had so many day-to-day -day requirements um, of that role, and looking at emerging sports, looking at programming for minorities, looking at, you know, there was a lot of 
I'm not gonna say in the weeds, but tasks that were really important. But I think the big picture got lost a bit and how are we gonna move forward as an organization? Um, and so that group has taken, I think I've been on this committee now seven years at least. Um, my first meeting that I went to uh, before I was named was at the convention in San Diego. That was about seven years ago. So, um, but we've done, a, I think, a really good job of trying to move initiatives forward that will help the organization. Um, and the one I'm probably most proud of is because I was able to manage it from a couple different perspectives was the division one adopting the once in five year um, diversity equity and inclusion review um, and then just uh, in April we voted to do the same for conference offices that conference offices have to do diversity equity and inclusion reviews once every five years as well and that's something that only division one is requiring now um, divisions two and three, um, frankly, out, outpace us in, in many things relative to student-athlete education and, and modules and, and diversity, equity, inclusion. So I was happy that Division One could, could be um, kind of out in the forefront with the conference office review. Um, but given I'm a commissioner, um, I'm on the uh, Gender Equity Task Force, but I'm also on the council and on the Strategic Vision and Planning Committee. And that's the group that um, the um, gender equity task force reports through at, at division one level. So I was able to, to basically hand deliver the uh, gender equity task force recommendation to the SVPC and then I could be on the floor of the council to present it. Um, and so it was really cool to see that go from you know, an, an idea to a reality. Um, yeah, especially given the issues that the organization and, and frankly this country is facing around diversity. It's really important um, that we have those initiatives and that there's a, a body that's really looking to, to make sure as a, from the big picture that we are managing and providing the opportunities um, at that level. So that's rolling out soon the the conference um review will be rolling are we in a five-year part of it yet yeah we just adopted it in april effective august so this august okay. 1st um it, it was became effective so yeah so that that's something that we'll you know have to do over time now i will say with the nec our swas um really got out in front of of the concept of the diversity, equity, inclusion reviews. At the time, um, it was a couple of years ago when, we, when the concept of the institutional reviews was making its way through the NCA governance structure, and it took a while. Um, because if, for those of you who are around for the previous athletic certification, um, that became um, a bit of a bear, so to speak, in terms of the time and effort it was required. and um, was ultimately the, the program was eliminated, but with that was the elimination of really accountability for institutions to manage their um, gender equity and diversity. Um, and, and so I, we knew it would be a little bit of an uphill battle to, to get the NCAA to support a diversity, equity, inclusion review because people you know, would break out in hives when they thought they were going back towards like a, another certification program. 
Um, but the NEC SWAs um, said, you know, this is really important. Um, and, and with our adoption of the NECs, um, even before the adoption of the NEC's strategic plan and the goal around diversity, equity, and inclusion, the, we voted to say that the NEC would start doing these reviews and do it once every three years instead of once every five, um, because we felt five years was too long um, and too much could happen um, in a negative if you're not tracking it. Um, but we ultimately, so the NEC voted once every three years, even before the NCA adopted their once in five. And the once in five year comes because division two and three have their self-study once every five years, which includes the diversity and equity inclusion review. Um, and so we wanted to mirror that um, at the NCA. But so that, that's a little history on why once in five versus our once in three. But um, so... The, I would say that the NEC has been proactive in this space um, in the last number of years, whether it's through that or if you talked about the women's leadership program. So that was something that uh, I actually stole that idea um, from some leagues in the West Coast that had done something similar. I think the West Coast Conference, the Big West and the Pac-12 had gotten together to do a uh, one-day seminar. And I thought, wow, we should do that here in the Northeast. We've got so many conferences in, in, a, in a close proximity. So I reached out um, to my peers at the, um, the MAC, the Ivy, the Patriot, and the America East and said, would you all be interested in partnering and creating these you know, one-day seminars to provide our, at the time, the first couple were focused on coaches um, trying to build that pipeline and to provide, um, you know, cost-effective, um, easily accessible mentoring and networking opportunities. So what we did is we aligned uh, for the first couple of years with um, what is now We Coaches. It was used to call Women's Alliance. Um, but we really, it was a self-driven program where we would get together uh, the commissioners and, and some of the SWAs and the leagues and, and what do we want to talk about? So we come up with the panel topics. Then each of the conferences would require to deliver one panelist for each topic. Uh, and we have great coaches and administrators in our league who can step up in, in all the five leagues and step up and play those roles. Um, and then we'd bring in a keynote speaker from, from outside so the first three years, I think we did just coaches, and then the last two, we um, we were well, we've only had one so far that actually was conducted, which where we had ad administrators as well. So that was the one I think the first one with administrators was at Sacred Heart, um, and so it was a great. We had an administrator track, we had a coach track, and we had some some programming with the two together. We were supposed to have one in December of this past year, but there was a big storm and we had to um, cancel it. It was rescheduled for May. And obviously with COVID that didn't happen, but we're really excited about those opportunities because um, not only do we utilize the resources within our leagues, um, uh, but we're able to, you know, just connect women, you know, really strong women and they can serve as mentors for the younger generation coming through. 
That experience, the one out at Sacred Heart was awesome. Sometimes the bigger conferences are harder for, you know, like NEC sized institutions to get into. They're expensive and to get to and traveling to them. So having the opportunity to connect with, especially other administrators that are of like mind with the same responsibilities and same access to resources. It was, it was a fantastic opportunity. I look forward to uh, hopefully after COVID <laughs> being able to gather like that again. Yeah, no, they, they've been really great. I've been so energized by them and, and um, the numbers just kept going up. And this year was gonna be an army, which is gonna be extra special. So hopefully we'll get back there. <laughs> Nori, in terms of strong women, women I have a pretty strong uh, three and a half year old uh, at home and has a great role model, obviously, in my, in my wife. And, um, you know, she, uh, we, we play different people at home. So a lot of times she's Miss Sarah, Sarah Ross, um, which is a great, great example for her because, you know, Sarah's done great things for us uh, uh, here at St. Francis and has really uh, made a huge impact. But kind of to, to wrap up this segment before we jump into the, the next thing real quick, you talked about some advice for, for women that want to get into the industry. If you give one piece of advice, you know, one quick piece of advice to, to women that want to get into college athletics, whether it's working at the uh, institutional level or the conference level, what would that one piece of advice be? Um, I would say um, believe in yourself and work hard. I mean, you just you just got to put your not, nose to the grindstone and, and just uh, getting into athletics is, um, you know, it's a lot of people want to work in athletics. And so getting your foot in the door is, is tough. And once you get that foot in the door, um, that doesn't mean you can stop working. That, that's when you start working um, and, and really – understanding that um, you need to do everything you can to position yourself um, to gain experience, um, to expand your network. Um, so every opportunity you can take, you should take it and, and not just sit back and think things are gonna come your way. You gotta go out and grab them. We liked that dive into um, a little bit of your journey and then also got to talk a little bit about my passion too with women's representation in the NCAA but I do want to get into some of the hot topics uh, that are impacting collegiate athletics right now and we thought it would be really unique to get the perspective at a conference level and hear from a commissioner on some of these topics so um you, uh, you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about women's representation, but the NEC announced the adoption of a new strategic plan that uh, it's increasing its like, education and focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, education. And I mean, the timing couldn't have been more perfect, right? We're in the, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and other people of color. Um, would you like to talk on some of the initiatives that are going to be coming out with this commitment? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're um, hit it right on um, that our focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, it, it couldn't come at a better time. And, and this was, a, a, in fact, we are a year ago, well, more than a year ago, June of 2019 is when we adopted our new strategic plan. And the plan has four goals in, in total. And the fourth goal, which is new, um, is the um, NEC's commitment to supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And so that was something, um, you know, we had Ron Makeley, who at, 
at the time was at Bryant as the president. Uh, he just retired. We'll miss him greatly. But he was on the NSA um, Board of Directors and as well as the NSA Board of Governors, um, which is the oversight of all three divisions. Um, and the NSA has put a significant uh, stress on trying to position the NCAA both internally and externally um, in a way that will better support diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So between my work at the Gender Equity Task Force and Ron's work with the Board of Governors and Board of Directors, um, we were able to really articulate to the NEC Board of Directors um, and Presidents why it was important to have this as a standalone um, goal. We at first talked about maybe do we incorporate that diversity, equity, and inclusion into each of the separate goals um, and have it as part of those goals. And, and in the end, we decided, no, it was, it was too important and it needed to be a standalone goal. So I was really proud of, of the membership. Uh, we had a strategic planning committee um, that was helped uh, put together the initial draft that went to the president's um, and that planning committee had ADs, SWAs, um, faculty reps, um, and my, some of my staff. So the, the ability to, to see the importance of having a standalone goal was, was frankly, I thought, crucial to, to making sure that we were able to, to create some initiatives that will help our league. So, so that, that was the first initiative, which is to have a standalone goal um, focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. And from there, you know, we have the goals are set forth where we have um, we have our desired outcomes, and then we have tactics in order to achieve those outcomes. And so, some of the things we talked about was um, structure. So, what do we need to do at the campus level and the conference level so that we can follow through on on this goal? And so, I think one of the most important aspects was to create a diversity, equity, inclusion conference-wide committee. So we've had that committee in place for over a year, um, and they have met probably quarterly. Now they're meeting monthly. Um, and so that, that committee was already in place um, when, you know, you mentioned the, all the issues around George Floyd and Brandon Taylor and, and everything that's happening in this country. So we didn't have to react um, we were already positioned well to have these conversations and to see what else we could do. Um, we also had, in, uh, as part of our plan, was that institutions would create uh, campus diversity, equity, and inclusion committees. So there, there was already work being done. Some had, had already created them. Others were in process. Um, but I think, obviously, what's happening in this country um, is probably um, sped up some of the institutions and, and getting those committees completed. Uh, from there, we also talked about um, providing educational resources. And we had um, contracted this year to have Nevin Capel come to each of our campuses. And if you don't know Nevin, you should. Um, I know you two do. I'm talking to everyone listening, which is um, she is one of the, um, the best uh, DE&I consultants out there. And what's more exciting is she's a product of the NEC. She played basketball at Carolyn Dickinson University. So um, she you know, knows us, understands us, and um, is part of our family. And for her to, we had, we, she was going to come to every one of our campuses this year and speak to our student athletes. And 
she's an amazing presenter um, and just, just her knowledge and the ability to connect with people is going to be, I think, one of the best speakers that we've had to date. We have the NEC Speakers Bureau, which so each year we pick a topic, the SWAs and Student Athlete Advisory Committee pick a topic as to what do they want to hear about, and we find a speaker, and that speaker goes to each campus. So we've done things around um, diversity before. Um, Dr. Greenfield was was one of our first um, around diversity and equity, and he's amazing as well. Um, and so I think we've had him twice um, come through our league, um, and so now Nevin would have been the, the third third speaker that focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion. So we, we were doing things well before we even adopted this strategic plan. Um, but anyway, so I, so back to the, the goal itself is, is to provide educational opportunities and then to provide like networking um, opportunities for our student athletes and our coaches. So continue with the, the women's leadership program um, and then we were talking about doing the empowerment series, uh, picking topics throughout the year. Um, but that was before, um, you know, the social unrest and, and the focus on social injustice. So since then, we've done a pivot. Um, and through the work of my staff and with, uh, in particular, Alexis Watson, who um, had been an intern for us now, actually just got a full-time job at Mount St. Mary's where she went to school. Um, we've um, created a couple new initiatives. And the first that we did um, was to, I think we were the first conference to come out and indicate that November 3rd, uh, we would give all our student athletes off from um, the athletically related activities so that they had the opportunity to vote. So that was something that we did. Um, I'd have to look at the date we announced it, but it was probably somewhere around April or May. Um, and we also are um, committing to do education around voting, voter registration and, and the need to exercise your civic duty really to vote. So we'll be releasing some of those um, initiatives soon. So we're finalizing, finalizing those. Um, but what I think the most exciting piece um, that we have incorporated since, um, since the social unrest in this country is what we're calling NEC Champions for Change. And um, Ron Ratner, um, is, he leads our um, media team, uh, kind of came up with this concept and then they ran with it. And uh, we announced this probably two weeks ago. Um, and it really, it's a platform for our student athletes and coaches and administrators of color, um, or really anyone, um, to speak about their own experiences, uh, around racism, social injustice, um, diversity, inclusion. Um, and it's, it's a, we talked about the fact that you need to listen to others and understand their perspectives. We need to learn from them and then act, right? And so this we call, we consider the listening part. You know, we, we need to better understand the shoes that others have walked through uh, in. Um, and, and we really focused on the fact that some of these conversations might be uncomfortable, but we need to be uncomfortable 
and we need to open up um, our minds and our hearts to, to other people's journeys and, um, and figure out how, as a conference, as an institution, and as just individual people, how we can make a difference in hoping to, or helping to shape the future. Um, and so if you've you know, listened to any of these um, videos, they're amazing, um, so powerful. Uh, and, and, and people are being vulnerable about talking about things that some have said they had not spoken about to anyone before or just to close friends and family. So, you know, we're really, I'm really proud of um, the response that we've had from student athletes and coaches and administrators uh, and we'll continue to release those um, championship for chant videos, their, their uh, essays. Um, and it's just been, I think, um, amazing to hear. Um, and it really makes you think. And as a group, um, I hope it makes us better. Um, the other piece that we're starting, um, and we're just starting to organize, we'll be doing some um, conference calls with um, students of color and administrators of color to allow them that platform to talk about their experiences generally, but their experiences in the NEC and from those conversations, um, we hope that we'll have some additional initiatives that we can suggest that we incorporate at the conference level or institutional level or both. Um, so we're really trying to, that's again, parting the listing and the learn, and then we'll figure out what we can do as a conference um, to be better and to, uh, to make sure that everyone in our league, regardless of color, um, sexual orientation, religious affiliation, whatever it is, that, that it's a comfortable and safe space and that uh, it's welcoming. And, and not only that, but that it really holds, we hold each other accountable. So that, that's where, you know, I think we've done some really great work and um, can't wait to see what comes out um, as the year progresses and the student athletes are back on campus uh, and we can really dive in and, and, make make a difference there's we had the chance to catch up with coach uh, Keila Whittington uh, when we did a, a talk about racial injustice and you made a call while you were speaking that uh, this a lot of this initiative is rooted in you know being able to see the experiences that other people are ha having that maybe you would never have yourself and she had made a call in her talk to that we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable for a while and you know too often I, we hide behind our comfort zones and don't take time to understand the experiences of uh, those around us and in the athletics community, hearing from coaches, administrators, student athletes, hearing from other student athletes about experiences that they could never even imagine they, not something that they ever thought that would happen in their lives. Uh, it's a very impactful way for uh, the NEC to uh, expand its understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, the Champions for Change initiative is amazing and I'm excited to continue reading and hearing the stories um, and learning from them truly. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I, I really am. Uh, each each segment you take something away at least one thing and and um like you said just hearing stories that i i just couldn't imagine having to have dealt with some of the racism some of the overt oppression I and mean, it's just 
you know, it's sad um, and it's frustrating and it, and it makes you angry that, that this has happened and we've let it happen. Right. So now we've got to figure out how to make sure that we can move forward, not backwards. Absolutely. If I can echo, yeah, the, the champions for change thing has been great. And I think it's, we're especially proud of, you know, two of the features that have been obviously on, on some of our, our St. Francis family here and um, with Keyshawn Graham, um, who's an amazing leader here on campus. He's the president of our Black Student Union, um, a SAC executive board member. He's on our student athlete mentors leadership team. He's on our Apple leadership team. He's on everything. Um, and then also Ty Stewart, who, who's a member of our student athlete advisory committee and is really pushing a, um, you know, kind of a rock the vote initiative, getting, making sure people are, you know, getting out and registered and um, also pledging that they're going to, they're going to vote on November 3rd. So um, I really appreciate the conference doing that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great initiative. And it's really um, highlighting the, the amazing um, things our student athletes are doing, but also addressing some of the experiences that they've gone through and, and how we can all um, be better people in the future. So kudos to your, your team for putting that together. Yeah, thank you. And, and like you said, your student athletes, um, truly amazing and, and really appreciate their work that they're doing. I mean, they're students, they're student athletes, and they're doing all of this other stuff. I don't know when they sleep, but uh, really happy that they're in our league and that, that they're, they are um, making, uh, making, making a difference. Sure. And, and kind of segueing into kind of the last topic for, for today, and it's the, the topic that's obviously on everybody's mind. Um, as you know, schools are, are, are starting back up and, you know, we started back with classes last, um, last Monday. Um, so we're almost about a week and a half into to our fall semester. Um, but maybe take us back to um, March um, when everything happened in the spring semester and how that looked from the conference level and then how things look now. I know we talked a little bit about COVID earlier, but um, kind of what it looked like back in March when you guys had to make the decisions and what it looks like now for the conference. Yeah, I mean, it, it's surreal. It's, um, it's mind-boggling. Um, you know, back, back in March, um, right around our men's basketball tournament, we hosted at uh, Robert Morris. And, um, you know, at that time, the only issue that people were talking about was you really shouldn't be shaking hands. Right. And, and so, you know, we were working with the local, um, you know, with Robert Morris, they were working with their local medical authorities and, you know, everyone gave us the, the green light to have, have the game. Um, and uh, during, during that game is when the governor of Ohio came out and said, no sports with fans and, um, and then the Mac announced they were going to not the next day weren't going to have fans in the house. And as I'm sitting here and with 3000 people in the stands. Um, and so, you know, the next day, um, and if you know, Ralph, you know, um, that a six hour drive in a van with Ralph Ventry at NAC Ralph and me from Robert Morris back to our central, uh, headquarters is normally a, um, you know, a Ralph show, right? Like he's great. He just, he's got so many stories. Uh, this is different. This, this trip, I was on the phone the entire time talking to um, uh, presidents involved in the women's basketball uh, quarterfinals that were going to be played or semifinals that were going to be played yeah. the next day. Um, and um, 
with other commissioners and it was six hours of trying to manage, can we play these games? If we do, how are we going to play them? We were on our way to, and made a decision. We would only allow um, like 132 people from each school, which is basically the comp list, um, complimentary ticket list. Uh, and, and so, you know, but we knew that that was still on a precarious um, standing in terms of whether or not we'd actually play the games. Um, and so that was uh, Wednesday. On Thursday, uh, the teams were a pregame uh, practice. Uh, that's when the NCAA came out and canceled not only NCAA basketball tournament, but the rest of the spring championships as well, which is something we actually didn't see coming. Um, but you know, when you look back on it, it, it made sense at the time. Um, you know, we had many of our institutions going on spring break. So they either let students leave early or told them to stay home a little longer, thinking we'd come back after spring break and, and get started. And as we all know, that didn't happen either. So there's just so many moving parts. And, um, and, and it was like um, the dominoes falling, right? And so you just started seeing uh, some t conference championships either going no fans and then canceling altogether. Um, and so from there, it was just, uh, I feel like I'm never ending uh, calls since that time and just trying to figure out what rules do we need to manage? Um, what rules did the NSA have to manage? Which ones do we manage? Um, you know, I, I, I give uh, props to our presidents. Um, they got together and immediately said, we need to look out for the student athletes first. So we are going to just shut down all athletics activity right now until we have a better sense of what's happening. Um, and, and we need to be um, really vigilant about making sure our student athletes are safe. And um, their biggest concern is really the mental health of the student athletes, knowing that they are either not on campus, um, they're at home, they're not doing the sports that they love, they're not able to go to gyms, those have been shut down. Um, and so they really, that has been one of their biggest focuses is how do we make sure that our student athletes are healthy, safe, and that their mental health is being um, addressed. So everything that the presidents have done is with, with those things in mind. Um, and so, you know, as, as things shut down in March, then you start up to plan, what does that mean for the summer and recruiting? And, um, and then what does that mean for, um, can they do virtual workouts? Can they not? I mean, it's just never ending conversations and around rules and regulations. Um, and then you think, okay, let's start preparing for the fall. So we have this medical advisory team putting together all these um, best practices and programs and the commissioners, you know, I, I said with our ADs SWAs meeting twice weekly, I met with commissioners twice weekly, the 32 commissioners on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that's still happening. The FCS commissioners meet weekly in the CCA 22, which is the 22 conferences that don't have FBS football, or meeting weekly. I had the, um, I'm not going to say the good fortune um, of being the chair of the FCS commissioners and the CCA 22 at the same time. So not only was I running our all calls, um, but I was running the FCS commissioners and the CCA 22 on a weekly basis. Um, also on council and SVPC. So it was just nonstop from high level, um, you know, count, uh, council to commissioners to our own league. 
And then, you know, constant communication with other commissioners. Um, you know, I have a, a WhatsApp um, daily communication with a couple other um, commissioners. So it's been a saving grace because we, we can say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? But we can also say, I had a really bad day, day yesterday. <laughs> I need some motivation. And, and so we're there for each other from personally um, as well, because everybody needs that, you know, place to vent or someone to pick you up. And, and because I know they, they're going exact, they're going through exactly what I'm going through that um, I can say, you know, bad day, help me. <laughs> you know? Um, so all of that combined, um, means that we are, since March, um, been trying to manage the unknown um, and plan for the future and have to pivot um, quickly when needed, when the data um, supports the change. So you know, our presidents uh, voted at the end of July to um, postpone fall sports. Um, they understand that you know, if we could give the student athletes an opportunity to compete, they would love to do that. At the time, they didn't see that it was really going to be an option, but they did say, let's have a look in uh, in October, October 1. And if things have changed radically and, and we maybe can come, come back and have some competition and allow the student athletes to do what they love, then, you know, we'll try our best to do that. Um, you yeah, know, we're at that point now where we have to talk about that conversation. I mean, I have to say, first and foremost, they postponed competition. So we are not having competition, but they, they reserve the right to say, mm, maybe we can in the future. Um, so we'll have that conversation. I have two calls with the presidents this month, early September and late September, um, to manage those that dialogue. And then we have to start talking about basketball and winter sports and how are we gonna manage that if there's no vaccine or if there's no rapid testing Basketball is actually one of the highest contact sports from um, the medical authorities um, where there's a whole lot more um, interaction between officials and players and the use of the equipment. Um, so basketball is actually one of the, the more complicated uh, sports to manage from the COVID scenario. So, and, you know, we have to make sure that we can do whatever we can do to have basketball have a full season and that there's a championship at the end of the day for the NCAA. When we shut down the NCAA championship um, in March, the NCAA, um, instead of receiving uh, upwards to $1 billion in revenue, receives uh, $300 million. And that goes across all three divisions, divisions one, two, and three. And it really supports all of the championships, um, all 90 championships that the NCAA runs, as well as... Um, you know, distributions to institutions. So our institutions, um, I think the number was um, five, $1.5 million that we lost from an institutional level. I'd have to go back and check that number. Um, our conference, we lost almost a million in, in revenue. So we need to do whatever we can do to make sure that basketball can start and finish. Um, and have a championship. And then we need to figure out now that the NCAA has said we're gonna host fall championships in the spring. How do you do that? When you have, that means fall and winter sports, or if winter sports will already be in season, hopefully, 
And then you've got your fall and spring sports gearing up for competition starting, let's say in January. So you've got everybody in there 20 hours a week, um, but you've got limited facilities, limited personnel. Um, and so there's just a whole lot of planning that has to happen between now and then to figure out, can we do it? How do we do it? And without impacting too greatly the spring sports who already lost their their championships um, and their regular season last year. So um, if you want to try to make everybody happy, um, my other mantra is you, you can't make everyone happy, but we need to keep everyone healthy. Uh, and I keep telling our coaches um, that, you know, the NSA is long uh, focused on competitive equity and fairness. And I told them those, those two phrases do not exist this year that um, some teams may play more games, have more opportunity to practice depending on what region they're in. Um, in the end, we want our students to be back on the playing fields, courts, pools. Um, and if you all at St. Francis can get there sooner, then let's let you get there sooner. Um, given that you may not have the same, um, case load that others do in other parts of the country. So, um, you, you know, we just have to really have a shift in focus and the focus now should be on opportunity on health and then really health first, then opportunity and, and then fairness if it can happen. So that, that provides a great picture of, of, of kind of what I looked at at the conference level. And I don't know that all our listeners kind of saw it from the, the conference level and understood all the, the moving pieces and how it's continued to evolve every day, every week, every month, you know, throughout the, the spring, then into the summer. And then, you know, now as we get into to the fall um, with everything and, and, you know, I think everyone's on the same page of, you know, putting the student athletes health and safety at the, the forefront and making sure they're, they're safe. And uh, I love that you're mentioning of, of mental health and, and the Northeast conference has done so much um, around me mental health. We could do a whole another segment on a podcast on, on what the Northeast Conference has done from a mental health perspective. Um, but it's, it's making sure that you know, our student athletes are, are doing okay, but also our coaches and administrators, because it's been, um, you know, crazy for, for all of us as well. And so it's, um, it's, it's great that, that that remains the focus and, and we're anxious to, to get, you know, our kids back in the, into competition, but, you know, do it in the, the safest way possible. So uh, I appreciate your, your uh, insight on all of that. Yeah, and, and I, I agree totally that, uh, you know, we're focused on the student athletes' mental health, but, you know, athletic administrators, um, but, uh, you know, ADs, SWAs, academic advisors, strength and conditioning coaches, um, athletic trainers, all been having to manage so many people um, and try to provide that support. And it is, it's hard. Uh, it's draining and you have to be the person who's, you know, there for others. So hopefully you all have someone, you know, or some way of, of uh, stress relief because uh, it, it does, it does add up and, and just the weight of, of having to be responsible. You know, you all are responsible for your student athletes. And so that, that's, uh, and I know how much you all, um, are committed to that it's a personal love and passion but it's uh it's tough so i appreciate everything you're doing to to connect with your student athletes and and to prepare them and and to uh help them in any way possible 
I, I appreciate it. And I, I really appreciate you joining us on, on the podcast today. Um, the, our listeners are going to be um, excited to hear everything. And so we really appreciate all your insight into um, all that's going on in the world of college athletics and kind of your journey through college athletics as well. So um, thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to, uh, to listening to my story myself. You always learn something new. Well, that was an action-packed um, last about hour with uh, you know, Commissioner Noreen Morris. Uh, we really appreciate her joining us. And um, what a great discussion we've had on a, a variety of topics. And uh, right off the bat, you know, we heard her story, you know, Sarah, and you know, right, led right into the, the conversation about um, really the, the work she's done over the course of her career, um, but even within the Northeast Conference, um, around really empowering women in college athletics um, and their roles. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, Sarah, to start us off. Yeah, sure. It was it was a fantastic conversation. It always is when uh, you can get chatting with Noreen, but I really loved her focus of um, empowering SWAs and the new role that she's kind of created with them in the Northeast Conference. She has made it a point to include SWAs on conversations where ADs are present. Um, She talked about the importance of that while she was working at Northwestern as an SWA and how the AD um, brought her in on meetings and mentored her in that respect. And then her thinking or finding that so important that she brought that with her to the NEC. I think that's an incredible opportunity for SWAs to be in the room and to be part of that conversation uh, and also to diversify the conversation uh, so that you have uh, multiple perspectives and ensure that the best opportunities are being brought forward for our student athletes. Sure. And, you know, we talk about like if you listening back to our segment, if people do it and listen over and over again, there's so much advice um, throughout um, there for for anyone working in college athletics, male, female, it doesn't matter. There's there's so much great advice, but um, such great ideas relative to um, ways to really put yourself in a position to to become a commissioner, become an athletic director, whatever the role is you ultimately want to be in college athletics. Um, and you know her her whole thing about you know believing in yourself and working hard, um, something that she you know really did. When you look at her career, really. Uh, put in a lot of hard work over the years to get to the, the opportunity to become the commissioner of the Northeast Conference. And she, I think she is a great role model for our, our student athletes within the conference. You know, obviously for us, we're um, you know, talking at St. Francis, she's a great role model for our student athletes here. And I think it's a great opportunity to get to hear from her through this podcast. Um, and they'll see her at championship events, hopefully uh, again soon. Um, but she's one that, that I think our student athletes know already but you know i hope they get the chance to know even better through this podcast and throughout their time um, competing in the northeast conference because um, she really has done a lot for the conference but she can continue to do a lot for our student athletes um, and always remains engaged and and really has a student athlete focused um, mentality you know she gave up a good amount of her time to hop on this podcast with us and um, you know she really is someone that, that continues to advocate for all student athletes, but has done a great job really empowering, um, you know, females and, and women in uh, college athletics. 
spent the second half of our discussion with Noreen talking about some hot topics as they pertain to collegiate athletics with COVID-19 and the unrest surrounding social and racial injustice in our country. Actually, since the recording, um, we had the tragic shooting of Jacob Blake and the murder of the protesters in Wisconsin. And Noreen had put out a statement uh, on behalf of the Northeast Conference following these events. And I wanted to take a second to read that before we started reflecting on our original discussion. Noreen had said, I'm angry, saddened, and frustrated by the shootings of Jacob Blake and the protesters in Kenesha, Wisconsin. We need to be better as a society. That means silence is not an option. That means doubling and tripling our efforts to combat racism and social injustice. I am hopeful and inspired by the NBA, WNBA, and others in the sports community who have used their platform to stand up speak out and work to create unity rather than division. I think that her statement was a testament to everything that we had covered in our discussion. Um, it, it also, I think, highlights even more the point that the NEC had made diversity, equity, and inclusion a priority in their strategic plan you know, prior to the heightened um, unrest they had made it its own pillar and not just pieces of all the other pillars involved in the strategic plan because that's how much importance they had placed on this. And you know, Noreen talked about a bunch of different initiatives that were going to be coming out of the conference relative to this, but you know, uh, following the statement and just following the commitment from the NEC over the past year, I think it's safe to say that uh, celebrating everything about our student athletes, celebrating the things that make them different is their priority and making sure that our student athletes feel valued and feel safe competing in the Northeast Conference is always at the forefront of every decision that they're making. Yeah, and you talk about the initiatives that the Northeast Conference has led and one of those most recent initiatives that they've led is the, the Champions for Change uh, initiative and uh, it's been you know throughout social media and and we've had the opportunity to have two of our student athletes featured on that uh, with Keyshawn Graham and, and Ty Stewart. And Ty Stewart, you talk about um, what he's done on campus and, and you know throughout the conference and probably across the nation in terms of really encouraging students to, to use their voice um, and you know, you know, pledge to vote and get out and register to vote and obviously on November 3rd actually vote. And you know, the Northeast Conference. Uh, as Doreen alluded to, it was one of the first conferences across the country um, to push the initiative of giving student athletes that off on you know November 3rd so they could go out and, and vote and have that opportunity. And I think that's a great uh, testament to the conference. Um, and, and we're really proud of the work that Ty has done to really push that initiative forward here on campus. Um, Ty being a member of our men's basketball team, but really is um, I think last week got out to, to speak with women's basketball and had some great discussions with them and um, has really gotten around campus since being back and amidst the, uh, the chaos of, uh, of COVID and the restrictions there hasn't slowed him down in terms of being able to make sure his voice is heard um, and that our student athletes take the opportunity to, to make their voices heard and vote on November 3rd. No, absolutely. It was a 
fantastic discussion. A lot of a lot of note. I have like three pages of notes that I can go back and review with all the important information that Noreen touched on. But we are very thankful that she took the time to talk to us and look forward to seeing all the programming that she talked about rolled out. Thank you.